Hey, welcome to a new episode of Last Call Baseball, number 139. I'm Dorian. There's no baseball going on right now in the U.S. or Canada. Everyone wants to know where all alien baseball player Shohei Otani's, uh, where he's going to sign. And I'd rather watch some baseball than and hear about ESPN sacrificing young goats to the baseball gods so that Otani signs with ESPN's favorite team, the New York Yankees. I want to watch some baseball and not listen to rumors. We haven't talked in a few weeks because I've taken some time off. It's the off season, but they're still playing baseball in Latin America. And I'm still watching the Latin, the Nicaraguan Baseball League, and specifically my favorite team in that league, the Tigres de Chinandega, the Tigers from the town of Chinandega. And I'm going to tell you, the Tigres are finding all sorts of way, ways to lose games. Shockingly, they're still in second place out of a five-team league. And remember, the best baseball, the best Latin American baseball leagues are the Dominican Republic, in no particular order, Dominican Republic, Mexico, Venezuela, and then below that is like Puerto Rico, Nicaragua, etc. Let's be real, because the Nicaraguan Winter League you can follow for free on YouTube. Over the past three weeks, the tie, the Tigres cannot find. They're trying to find new and new ways to lose. Like two weeks, like I think two or three weeks ago, they lost on a walk-off grand slam from versus Tren del Norte, tra- the train of the North. And that grand slam was hit by former Baltimore Orioles minor league prospect Juan Montes, which the Spanish announcers call him Mr. Bigotes, Mr. Mustache, because he has that cartoonish, what was it, dastardly, uh, was it dastardly Dan, I think it was, for like that cartoon from the 1960s. He's, I don't know how Montes manages to keep that awesome mustache, but hey man, thumbs up to you. Two days after that really crappy loss, the Tigres were down, I don't remember who this was, but they were down nine to six. Bottom of the ninth inning, bases loaded, no outs. And you're like, oh, this is this is what dreams are made of right here. The deed is lost, and they didn't even score a single run. <laughs> then later, to add, not insult to injury, to add injury to insult, on November 20th, they were playing at the Gigantes de Rivas, the giants from the town of Rivas, who are the defending champions. And the, the Tigres... I think he's Dominican. Yeah, the Domin- their Dominican catcher, Luis Bernardo, he got hit in a, a very masculine area of the body. Among the body, not a laughing matter. But what was funny was how the Spanish announcer uh, said it. He was said, uh, basically, Luis Bernardo got hit donde nadie lo puede sobar. Luis Bernardo got hit where no one can massage him. <laughs> very delicately put. And then to add, to truly add insult to injury, about a week later, Luis Bernardo was cut by the Tigres, not because he has like permanent injury, but because Luis Bernardo has, has contributed nothing with his bat. I think he was hitting below 200, and they were like, all right, we've seen enough. Goodbye. Adios. Then, just, just before Thanksgiving, on November 23rd, the Tigres were playing, um, they were playing at the Leones de Leon, the Lions from the city of Leon. By the second inning, the Tigres were up eight to nothing. Then the, the the Leones scored a couple of runs, and then like two innings, two innings, they had two, two innings later, the Tigres were back up by another eight runs. And I know this is going to shock you, but the Tigres ended up losing that game. They lost an eight-run lead, not once but twice. They ended up losing 
16 to 15. I mean, this is kind of like, it's almost like a high school football score. It's ridiculous. When you're watching, well, I mean, it's what I'm watching. I try to watch most of the Tigres' game because in the in the in the Latin American winter leagues, the, the leagues the the yeah the leagues aren't the seasons aren't that long. They're usually between forty and sixty games, and you and including uh, playoffs. So it's not an eight thousand month slog like your MLB season. So it's easier to watch each game. And on top of that, it's on YouTube. You see, the offense is not the problem. I mean, these guys are scoring eight, ten. 15 runs a night. And it's almost like the Digitus pitching staff is so atrocious. It's in, I almost feel like it's in their contract that they have to make sure that they give up 10, 14, 16 runs every other night. And somehow the Digitus are still in second place in the league. So hats off to that offense because they are carrying that atrocious, atrocious Digitus pitching staff. And I love the Latin American League, Latin American Winter Leagues. You can watch the Dominican Winter League. If you go onto their website, you have to pay to, to to get that league pass. It's the same thing with the Mexican league. And I I still cannot find out how in the world you can watch the Venezuelan winter league because Ronald Acuna Jr. is playing in for one of the teams, and I can't watch it. But again, the Nicaraguan one is free. It's on YouTube. It's fantastic. But speaking of Dominican players, Juan Soto, formerly the San Diego Padres, traded to the New York Yankees. ESPN's excited. The New York Yankees fan base is excited. Soto is probably going to make the Yankees a better team, but I don't see them any different from the 2023 team. You still have, you look up the lineup of the New York Yankees. There's just a bunch of big plotters on the bass pa- bass base paths. Why do I keep saying bass? And I blame Brian Cashman and probably some input from Aaron Boone, the manager of the Yankees. They're still constructing lineups like it's 2019, where it was Three true outcomes, like just get us a home run, get us a home run, get us a home run. I don't know if Brian Cashman, sarcastically, has got the memo that the bases have been expanded. Baseball as a whole is being encouraged to steal more and more bases. Where are the base dealers from the New York York Yankees? Where are the guys that are going to put pressure on the relievers, on the opposing relievers, on the starting pitching? Where are the guys that are going to be able to stretch a single to a double, a double to a triple, etc.? They don't exist. And on top of that, this is an unbelievably injury-prone lineup. I look at it and I'm like, probably Juan Soto and Aaron Judge is going to give you 150-plus games next year. But be honest with yourself. Giancarlo Stanton, how many games do you think he's going to play next year? 120? Maybe, with fingers crossed, 140? Maybe 100. And everyone else, just big, powerful dudes who are playing station-to-station baseball. Then the Yankees give up some young pitching prospects to trade away over to San Diego to get Juan Soto. Who do the Yankees expect to pitch? Do they really want Garrett Cole to pitch every single day and have his arm fall fall off? No, of course not. But who's going to pitch? You're going to you're just crossing your fingers and hoping that Carlos Rondon has a bounce back season and a bunch of other guys, Nestor Cortez, etc. I can see where the New York Yankees make the playoffs in 2024, but to go deep in the playoffs with this basically the same lineup that had all the issues from last year. I don't see it. No pitching and station to station baseball. I, it's not 2019 that we can't get in our DeLorean and go back to the previous decade. But speaking of exciting pitching, speaking of exciting young players, our next guest knows a little bit about some exciting Pittsburgh Pirates young players. This week, we're joined by Jason Mackey. 
the Pittsburgh Pirates beat writer for the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Jason, welcome to Last Call Baseball. Oh, thank you very much for having me. Good to be here. Jason, you just came back from the winter meetings over in Nashville, Tennessee. What's the big deal about Nashville? I actually went to Nashville last month. I like it. I don't understand why it's become this cool hub of the U.S. Yeah, I mean, what I'm assuming you actually went to Nashville, which would be like Broadway, Johnny Cash Museum, Tootsie's, um, you know, Rippies, whatever, right? Right. Yeah, the downtown yeah. area and outside. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we didn't go to Nashville. We went to the Gaylord Opryland Resort and Convention Center, which is not Nashville, in my opinion. I, I hate it. Um, I was not a fan at all of the setup for the winter meetings. I don't think I was alone. Um, I like Nashville as a city. Personally, I, I used to cover hockey before I got into baseball and I made regular trips there. I was covering the Penguins and they beat the Predators in the 17 Cup Final. It was a great time. I like the country bars. I I mean, I guess that's sort of why. Like the weather's good. There's a lot of bars. It's a nice strip. Like you sort of like Bachelorette Party USA, um, which again, like rock out, do your thing. But I, for the GM's meetings, they've been in San Diego and logistically, that's an infinitely better setup. For reporters, for team members, for everybody, you get to get outside. Um, so I don't know. I'm I'm a big Nashville fan. I just hate Nashville for the winter meetings. Okay, yeah, I, I liked it. I just it was it wasn't what I expected. Maybe because I went with too high expectations, uh, Nashville last month. But yeah, yeah I mean, it's kind of like Southern Vegas is really what it is. I heard that Knoxville, like they call it Knox Knox Vegas, where the University of Tennessee is. Yeah, I I believe it, and it's, it's just fine. I, that's not my thing. It's not what yeah. I would pick to do, but I no, understand why people like it. I like the the food, the art, and just yeah. to hang out and then check out the check out the scene there. My last thing is the only good thing about I, I know what you're talking about because the Gaylord Opry is out on the uh, towards the east, like the furthest east of Nashville. The only good thing there is the Dukes of Hazard Story Museum. Yeah, so I heard that was near there. I did not check that out. Yeah, it's um, like it's like a five ten minute drive from the Gaylord. It's a good you you go there for twenty thirty minutes and, and you're done. But it, you know, I was a huge Dukes of Hazard fan growing up, so I had I had to make it out there. Yeah, nice. That's it's good to hear. It's yeah, it's one of the frustrating things. It's my last point with the the Gaylord. Like it takes fifteen minutes to leave the facility, and so like an extra fifteen or twenty to go to the museum and get back. It's just like. Man, it's not even worth it. I wanted to go to Broadway and I didn't. It's just too much of a pain in the butt to do anything. You're you've been living in Pennsylvania for a long time. Correct me if I'm wrong. I think you might be a native. You went to school in Pennsylvania. You went Correct. to university in Pennsylvania. Obviously, yeah. now you're working. Like you said, you used to be um, for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Big yep. Mario Lemieux and Yarmir Yager fan back in the day. I don't really follow hockey anymore. And now you're with the Pirates. How did you? What was your first love? How did you come across to be uh, a writer in for sports? Well, it, it probably in hindsight, it was a fairly logical um, amalgamation of things. Uh, my dad was a huge sports fan, and that's where I got all of that from. Uh, my mom was an English teacher and owned her own tutoring center. So I was always sort of, you know, made to write, forced to write, required to write, that sort of thing. Uh, not that I was any good at it coming out of anywhere, but I went to college. Originally, I was about to be a math major. That's what I thought I wanted to do was teach like secondary ed, math, and maybe coach and um, sort of soured on that the second semester of my freshman year, got into journalism. I was honestly talking to a guy like after I decided I didn't want to do math anymore. It wasn't like my, my grades weren't bad. I was fine. Um, I just kind of got tired of it one day and said, I want to, I want to change. Um, I was talking to somebody and say like, I'm looking for something fun. I want to do something that is doesn't feel like a job. And since that time, I don't feel like I've actually 
worked. I mean, I worked a lot. I, I work an obscene amount, but it's a, a passion. I just love doing it. Um, it, it. Again, this is a long story. I'm trying to cut it down. You know, and then college, I interned at a TV station in D.C. and was around like Redskins Park and the whole media drill thing. You know, I'm watching like Jason Lock and Four at the time and Howard Bryant, Mike Wise and these guys. And I'm watching like the print side drive the storyline and conversation around a team and the TV people. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but they're kind of just like following the crowd stirred up by the print guys. I'm like, yeah, I'd rather rather do the print thing. And so I sort of took that avenue seriously, started working, uh, covering preps for a weekly newspaper down in Northern Virginia, um, did that a bit, ended up working for the Washington Post for covering preps for about 13 months, moved back home. So yeah, and and have been just writing and chasing that passion ever since. That's fantastic. Yeah, you're right that it, it always reminds me of, there was a Produced the producer Robert Evans wrote an autobiography and basically he did all the big movies, uh, China, China Syndrome, the the Godfather movies. And he always said, and he always said, if you don't have a good script, you're going to have a bad movie. And it's yeah. exactly like kind of and that just I thought about that when you were saying about the writers drive the narrative, which is a really good point. Since you're a writer, and uh, by the way, I when you were talking about that, it reminded me like I hope you weren't like Bart Simpson, where your detention was just basically writing out. Your mom would be making you write. Oh, it was. it was sometimes. Yep. If I would get in trouble, I would have to write. I will not do, you know, do that 500 times. But I mean, you know, I and I had to uh, prepare for like SAT prep. That was one of the things my mom would do. And mm. I'd have to go on a, after a Friday night football game. Like, you know, I was a, a meathead. I played a lot of sports. And so like the next morning, I'd, I'd have to go to SAT prep as much as I didn't want to. And like... I don't know. I mean, I'm not super smart. I'm not dumb, but I'm I'm not super smart. And yeah, you know, so I that that was always a challenge. It wasn't exactly what I wanted to do, uh, but I do appreciate it now. Looking back, you know, like my parents taught me to work. I was from a, you know, I'm still from um, a blue collar part of Pittsburgh. You know, a lot of my friends are landscapers, electricians, carpenters, that sort of thing. And you know, we're not fancy. My wife's from here as well. We're not rich, but we're happy. Um, so I, I don't know. I, I take a lot of pride in just being, I'll put in the time I work, I care, I take this seriously. So yeah, it's, you can make up for things that way, I guess. Yeah. That's what Pittsburgh's known for. Uh, mm-hmm. Good blue collar folks. Yeah. Now that your main, main stories are actually coming from uh, the Pittsburgh pirates, obviously the past few years haven't been, they've been, it seems very far away from when Andrew McCutcheon was winning MVPs and they were going to the playoffs every year, obviously, you know, disappointing in the playoffs, but now from I, I'm not a Pirates fan, but I still somewhat follow the team. It's, it's this. There's this. I think they're like in a weird space where they have an exciting young player, obviously O'Neill Cruz, but at the same time, they're. I don't know if they're rebuilding, what have you. Like, what's something to look forward to in 2024? Because obviously, there wasn't much to look back on 2023 after O'Neill Cruz uh, was injured. Yeah, that's probably the external view. Um, I wouldn't agree with it. Um, I think that they won a decent amount of games this year. Um, they jumped 14 wins from from last year. They did it in the second half of the season. Um, they got rid of some guys like Carlos Santana, Rich Hill, G Man Choi. They they brought in some veterans at the beginning of the season and then got rid of them halfway through. And their best baseball was after that. Their best baseball was played with a bunch of young kids, a bunch of prospects. Um, they finished the season 37 and 35. Kutch was hurt. Uh, they bid, barely had any pitching. It was Mitch Keller and Johan Oviedo were their only two traditional starters. Now Oviedo has had Tommy John surgery, which is obviously a difficult thing and something we've been unpacking here locally. 
But, you know, as much as they need pitching, they're returning everything else they had. And it, that's not to mean that Pirates are going to be world beaters or anything like that. But, you know, it's a, it's a storyline that I don't necessarily understand with this team. And I just I deal with it all the time with our fans, too, where everybody's upset about, oh, Oviedo is having Tommy John. When are they going to do something with free agency? What's wrong? This team's going to stink. Everybody else in the National League Central is making moves and they're not. What in the world? Like, I get it. I mean, they certainly need to do things, um, and I think they will, and it just hasn't happened yet. But you're running it back with largely the same cast of characters who played some pretty good ball. And these kids are like solid prospects. They play well together. I think there's there's some hope for this team, and you're going to be getting O'Neill Cruz back. I think they made a really good pick with Paul Skeens last summer. They're going to be getting two pitchers back that they really like from Tommy John, JT Brubaker, and Mike Burrows. I do think Kutch comes back. Um, you know, so anyway, I guess I'm saying all that to say, I don't think the, I don't think it's a, a hodgepodge of nothingness anymore, as Dennis Eckersley said. And I think there's like moderate reasons for optimism. Like I, I'm picking this team to go over 500, uh, again, not a great thing. Let's not throw a parade. Like it's just part of the process, but I, I would also argue that like everything doesn't suck also. You're right. I I don't know why, but I completely forgot about Paul Skeens, which I I was following LSU all last year. They're kind of like one of my college baseball teams, and I obviously I watched them do the whole college world uh, the college world series. I'm like tampering my expectations and hope with him because so many people have said Paul Skeens could be in the in the Pirates rotation by summer 2024, and I'm like, mm-hmm. whoa! I know this guy pitched for the best college baseball program at the highest level. Are you hearing those things coming out of like Florida or or just within the organization on the the, the near term trajectory of Paul Skeens? Yeah, I mean, it wouldn't shock me at all if he pitched with the major league team in 2024. I'm half expecting it. You know, do I think that he's going to break camp with them and like come north of the team? No, I think that's a probably a lofty goal unless something absolutely nuts happens in spring training. I'm not expecting it. But look, he's the best pitcher in in a long time. I don't know how much refinement he's going to need in the minors. I think he'll probably need some. I think the Pirates just to feel a little bit better about it. And, and honestly, maybe to get a couple gates for Altoona and Indianapolis, they're double A AA and triple A affiliates. But, you know, you, you run him out there a couple times in Altoona. If, he, if he's tremendous, you say, okay, well, the heck with it. and Go on up to Indianapolis. If he does that a couple more times and we say, you know, we don't really see much point in keeping you here. Like, I think the one thing that matters to the Pirates is maintaining a year of control on the back end of the contract. So basically, if he would weren't earn a full year of service this year, like that would be that would be a year spent. Uh, the Pirates would like to stretch that. And I don't even blame them. I mean, that's like two weeks of Paul Skeens. If you can live without Paul Skeens for two little two plus weeks, you'll deny him from getting a, a year of service. And the trade off you make probably is that he's up here at some point. Now, are they going to fiddle around with something like rule two, super two? I doubt it. I have a tough time seeing that. I mean, if he is mediocre in how he performs, sure, that's probably an easy thing, and I don't think people would be clamoring for it. But if he pitches great, again, I think you're going to have a tough time saying, yeah, yeah, two and a half months into the season, I don't know if we could Paul, call Paul Skeens up. Like, that changeup, it's not quite there. Like, I just, I don't see that, especially with as much as they need rotation help. So I think it'll work itself out. The stock answer I've been given is sort of May at some point. I feel like you'll get a little bit of time double a little bit of time in triple a and then and then they'll know they'll, there will be a right time to bring up skeins that's exciting but it's also for for paul skeins and the pirates as well 
it's also disappointing as a baseball fan because I like going to minor league games, especially in Florida. Uh, and the the high A, I guess now it's only the A of the Pirates is down in uh, Bradenton. Beautiful. I love that baseball stadium because it's kind of, it's kind of like the the replica of the of the major league one. So unfortunately, we're not going to be able to see Paul Skeens in in Bradenton because it's probably below the SEC competition that he was uh, he's yeah. used to pitching. He's already past that. Yeah. yeah, he'll he'll start a double A. I mean, that's where he finished. Um, he was maybe going to pitch a little bit more last year, but they were super cautious about it. Uh, they brought him in and did some like onboarding stuff internally. I think he saw six and two thirds innings, something like that at, at affiliates. And, you know, he was honestly on TV one day and said, I don't know if this is the reason why they shut him down, but he said something about, you know, the body's just a little tougher to recover late in the season, blah, blah, blah. And then out of nowhere, the next day they're shutting down Paul Skeens. So like, I don't even blame the pirates. Like if I, if I hear my players say that publicly, I'm like, well, all right, there's you, you've pitched a whole college season. You've pitched a lot in that college season. You are such an investment for us. Like just dude, go, go get healthy. We'll see you in the spring. That's my suspicion is that's what's happened. But yeah, I mean, he's, he's above, he's probably above double A and triple A right. honestly, but I just understand why if you're running a team, like, you know, if I'm Ben Charrington, if I'm, Bob Nutting, the Pirates owner, like, yeah, I, I, I want to see you do that. I want to see you do that successfully, and you show me you can do that. I'll bring you up. You know, I'll bring you up inside of a year of drafting. But like, that would be important to me if I was running the team. I get that. You know, as a Pirates fan, as a Pirates fan, as a as a baseball fan, you're making me somewhat excited about the Pirates in 2024, just because as, as we obviously were talking about O'Neill Cruz, he's come, he's going to come back. One of the most exciting players. Forget about young or old. He's one of the most exciting players in baseball. The potential for seeing Paul Skeens in late spring, and you know, I don't know what's going to go on with Henry Davis, but it's it's something to look forward to. Is like so when you come across the Pirates on TV, you're like, well, you know, I'm not going to change the channel. Let me let me check the let the kids play. Let, let, let me check yeah. the kids out in in 2024. Yeah, I mean that's very much what they've done, and I, I don't blame them. Uh, I think that's the only way to do things, right? Like they're not going to outspend teams. They're not yeah. going to outspend anybody, um, but they can out scout them. They can out. You know, they can do better internationally, which they've done. Um, they can develop guys better, which they've done. They can draft better. Um, and I think those are areas that the Pirates have really targeted. And I, they've made mistakes, sure. I mean, they've had draft picks even now that have been like, you know, they just haven't amounted to much. They've had guys get hurt. They've had guys not perform at the major league level. But I think those processes are better. Um, they're showing signs of being better. And right now they've, you know, you can look at many farm system rankings and the pirates have improved. Um, I don't think as much as they would ultimately like, but yeah, I mean, as somebody covering this stuff, like I, I find it interesting, you know, it's a bit of a difficult thing because I think fans tend to focus a lot on major league payroll, which is understandable. I mean, that's the most publicized part of the sport and it's important. And the pirates have traditionally kind of sucked in that realm. So like, I, I get it. And you want a team to put as much passion into doing stuff as you do, you know, or as you might spend or spend time, energy, money, whatever, you know, and I think it's easier to see when those dollars are plunked down on players versus like, we're going to spend a lot of time with this player trying to hit a slider better. We're going to spend a lot of time with this pitcher drilling into how he moves. And, you know, I think the pirates have done that stuff. It, I think ultimately what's going to change the narrative of this team is if they win. If they win, nobody's going to be focused anymore on the payroll. And they started 20 and 8 last year. And I think a lot of people started sopping up that story as they should. And it was a lot of fun. And then their balloon burst. 
And then they were terrible for two plus months. And, you know, they just like reality set in. But if they could maintain something close to that for even longer, I think this city is, I mean, again, I was born and raised here. It's a tremendous sports city. It's a tremendous baseball city. They're ready to embrace these guys. Um, you know, and nobody's going to really care about the payroll if they're able to take a bunch of kids and get them better and compete with some bigger market teams. That's a good point about that. Just win, but it, like winning takes care of so many things. And yeah. the, the the immediate team that came to mind was the Cincinnati Reds last year when they were in the thick of the playoff race toward, until uh, probably about a few weeks or so before the end of the season. But just that excitement that not related, Ellie De La Cruz brought along with all the other youngsters in Cincinnati. I'm like, that that could be Pittsburgh next year where no yep. one's going to talk about such the low payroll of, of the Reds. Who cares? As long as it's exciting, fans are coming out and they're winning, everyone's going to be happy. Yeah, and I mean, ironically, we have O'Neal Cruz, six foot six Dominican kid, and Ellie De La Cruz, a six foot seven Dominican kid, both playing shortstop and with off the charts power. It's gonna, it's gonna be a lot of fun, man. It, it really is. Um, I hope it happens. I mean, you're not a fan, but like, it's a heck of a lot more fun to cover a team that's winning than it is to cover a team that's losing. I know that much. You know, even what they did this season, like the good parts of it. It's so funny how much people here just like they love it. They're so excited. They're over the moon for it. It's just like drastic emotional swings. You know, the beginning of the season, everybody's falling for the Pirates and it's the biggest thing ever. And then they fall off and everybody gets mad and talks about how much they stink. And, you know, then they finish the season. It's like, hey, all right, these kids, you know, they're, they're all right. Like, finally, they started playing the kids. They're going to get Cruz back and, and all this stuff. And then you get one negative thing, Oviedo getting hurt. And I guess two negative things. They haven't really done anything in free agency and, and you know, sort of the offseason mode. But yeah, I mean, I I think it's going to be good, man. I really do. I don't think there's going to be much of a regression here. I see it going forward. How much forward, I I don't know. Um, you know, I think it depends a lot on young guys getting better. But it's a it's a fun market to work in for sure. I, I hope so. Like, like I said, I'd be I'd love to see the Pirates come up on the schedule on TV and be like, you know what? Let me check it out because I remember yeah. Jason's telling me all these great things about them just a few months ago. They're also fantastic kids, by the way. Yeah. Like I deal with them every day. Um, there's not a jerk in that locker room. There's no egos. There's not, you know, they treat people right. They they conduct themselves appropriately off the field. Like that's that's something we kind of talk about. I've been around a lot of pro sports. Um, I'm 40. I've spent time around the Steelers, around the Penguins. You know, by and large, I, I do like those teams, but you certainly deal with, I, I don't know if I've ever been in a locker room without literally without a single jerk in there. Like they're just some really great guys. And so you want to see them do well, right? Like we're around each other an obscene amount of time. You know, you want to see guys experience individual success. Like Quinn Priester is, you know, one of the nicest human beings I've ever met. Of course you want to see him do well. I hope that happens. You're a writer. You're, I'm sure you're traveling a lot. You have a lot of deadlines to meet, late nights. What's Jason's cup of coffee? What's your preferred coffee when you need to be pushed and you need to get that 10, 11 o'clock Eastern uh, deadline for for the post? (laughs) Man, whatever, whatever's ready. Um, Again, I would, my favorite cup of coffee, oddly, let me back up, is uh, Starbucks Christmas blend. I don't know why. I've always liked it. Big fan of What what does that consist of? It's a darker roast. I don't know. I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not like a super coffee nerd. Okay. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna leave you short here. I just like drinking it. I don't, I don't like turning it into a chemistry experiment like I, I think some people do. Yeah, I I, I, I prefer local coffee shops and trying different absolutely. things. Absolutely. Um, but I, I'm not gonna like sit there and sip it and 
and try to like decipher notes and all this sort of thing. So, you, so a thousand uh, dollar cappuccino maker is not on Santa's list from Jason for this. No, year. no, absolutely not. I would be just fine brewing some Folgers. I am <laughs> as obscene as that might be. I'm perfectly fine with. I'm not a coffee person, but I like talking about it. And I only have it like when I travel. I'm more, I, I when I'm at home, I just make uh, English breakfast tea. Okay, pinch of sugar, splash of milk. I'm going to give you a suggestion, especially if like if you're in New York with when the Pirates play the Mets, and now that we have the all the teams play everywhere. I don't know if the if the Pirates are playing the Yankees this year in New York. I've had some friends in New York talk about the wonders of Yemeni coffee, coffee from Yemen. I've never had it. I, they've talked about it all the time, but they're in New York. And so I'm like, what, if you get a chance, because I know you have to be at the, the ballpark basically the whole day to yeah. go down to like a local bodega or something and just buy a cup of, of, of that Yemeni's coffee or just get it because all I hear is great things about Yemeni coffee. But all right. So Christmas blend. But that yeah. only is only around for about a month or two. Then you go back to good old yeah. soldiers yeah. in your cup. All right. Yeah, and I mean, I'll Starbucks Pike Place or something if I have to. I don't know. I I just I don't have something that like, oh my goodness, it's this sort of secret blend. I mean, when I covered hockey, I drank a lot of Tim Hortons. I'll, I'll kind of drink. Everything. Oh yeah, a lot, a lot of a lot of the teams. Do they have Tim Hortons in the U.S.? Because I know they're all over. In, they do in Canada. Okay. Yeah, so they have them. A lot of Ohio cities you go to will have it. Um, Buffalo, at least hockey wise. Like if I cover the Blue Jackets, it would be there for sure. I don't know why, uh, but there was a Timmy's right there. Buffalo, there's a lot of Timmy's. Probably, I think Detroit. There's some presence up there. All Canadian cities, obviously. Yeah, they're, I mean, they're like, like every right block in Canada. Line. Yeah, um, that might be it. Honestly, I'm trying to. There's there's one about 25 minutes from my house, but it's such a pain in the butt to get there that I I rarely go. Going back to baseball for real quick, one of the players that you mentioned that the Pirates let go was actually one of my, I guess one of my favorite players. I like to call him the man with the elastic hamstrings, G Man Choi. And so when the, when the Rays, I think he was traded or they just they cut him. And then the Pirates, as you, as you had said, they signed him uh, in the in last year's offseason. And then he struggled at Pittsburgh. That was a bit disappointing. Like what um, I saw his batting average was very low. And but I think he's a phenomenal first uh, first baseman defense defenseman is like, was there any other reason why? Besides, I guess, the batting average that the Pirates let him go. Yeah, I mean, a couple things. He wasn't healthy. Um, and the Pirates traded for him, by the way. They traded a minor leaguer to get him in here. And they really wanted to work on first base last year and did. Uh, they didn't get enough offense there. But, I mean, honestly, like he got hurt at the beginning of the year. I believe it was an Achilles. Well, started out, didn't really produce much. Got hurt. It's an Achilles thing. Ended up losing his position to Carlos Santana. Carlos Santana was just really good. He had a solid year. Um, I think he finished second gold glove voting. Probably could have won it. And just really fit nicely in Pittsburgh. And, um, you know, with Kutch here, he was more of the DH. Like, Choi just kind of didn't have a spot. And so, you know, the Pirates got to the midseason point or, you know, around the time where they typically trade veterans, they're going to lose. And they were able to package him, Rich Hill. I don't know if someone else went to the Padres. But, yeah, they made a deal with the Padres and they, they sent him out. It, Choi started to get healthy and then have a little bit more of a role. Um, as he came back, Kutch was having some injury stuff and Choi kind of became more of their DH. But the beginning, it was just health and not really having a role. Yeah, I you know I noticed that trying to turn Pittsburgh into Tampa Bay North hasn't really worked <laughs> with yeah. all, the, all the X-rays. Chris Archer, G-Man Choi, Rich Hill is OK, but Rich Hill's he's you know, he's really he has a lot of wear on his tire. I love Rich Hill, but uh, yeah, no, let's not try to let's stop the whole turning Pittsburgh into Tampa Bay North. Yeah. 
I mean, they're just looking for anything they can right. find. I mean, I, and I don't blame them. I mean, it's kind of what you have to do. Like you're either going to spend or you're going to try to see things that other people don't see. And yeah, so far their batting average for that has been, it could be higher. That's well put. Jason, you obviously have a lot of experience all across baseball, not just with the Pirates. Let's. I love playing these fantasy games. Not so much fantasy baseball, but we always say, you know, if I was in position X or position Y, I could do things better. If for a day you were the new Major League Baseball commissioner or maybe even the general manager of the Pirates or anything you want, what's one or two things that you would change if you were in a position? And let us know what position that would be. Well, the first and foremost, I mean, the most obvious thing with me in baseball would be a cap and a floor salary cap, salary floor. Um, I'd love to see, you know, I'd love to see, see teams like the Pirates forced to spend more. And I'd love to see teams like the Yankees or the Red Sox or Mets, whatever, um, be required to spend less. Like, I just think, you know, you look at the other sports and somehow like the best football players are getting rich. The best basketball players are getting rich. The best hockey players, you know, relative to scale are getting, they're doing well. Um, I don't think baseball is going to regret it. You know, I would look at the NBA, frankly. I think that's the best, the best run league. At least, you know, I, I foot, football is just a, its own animal, but you know, there's ways for your best players. They can get paid. They can get paid. I would not worry about, you know, figuring that out, but yeah, that would be my number one as a cap and a floor. And then if we want to talk about any sort of rules thing, I don't know if this would be a commissioner, but I'd love, I'd love to see them do something about the balls and strikes situation. I, you I wouldn't like go like all, robots? I wouldn't go all rope. Yeah. Okay. I wouldn't go all robo ops. I'd want them to go like a challenge system that they did in the minor leagues. Like have a guy calling balls and strikes, but teams get three challenges or something for a year that or for a, a game, you know, the batter like has to raise his hand or something. And you look at it it's real quick. It's like tennis. You, know, you can look at it on the, on the big screen. There's a lot of suspense with it. Big call and a big moment in the game. Like I would just, I'd, I'd like to see him go to that ABS challenge system. I like the the hard cap, maybe not a hard, but a cap, and you said a floor of the sa- for salaries for the baseball players. But I've always thought about more of when you're forcing teams to spend, you should maybe punish the owners in the revenue they're getting because yeah, I'm more sure. like you can only be, I don't, don't want to use this word right now, welfare basically for three seasons. After that, if you if your salary isn't within a 10 to 20% range of the average, you, you're cut off. Like, sorry, the Dodgers and the Mets and the Yankees aren't going to cut you checks for $50, $100 million a year so you can pocket it or not do anything about it. That's more the, that's, I think that would hit the owners more, restricting their ability to continuously just live off the trough and again, be paid out by the, by the big earning teams because those big earning teams also spend a lot of money. I'm almost of the mind that, like, I don't even want to see that. I know that's what, like, teams like the pirates would argue for, you know, they'd want the revenue sharing to be different. And, you know, the rich teams are going to want the revenue sharing to be different too. They're going to want to be paying the poor teams less. I almost want to say like, let's make it a point that is like affordable for smaller market teams and like bigger market teams might dislike it, but like, let's get to a point where that makes sense. And then, you know what, financially, if that doesn't work for you, Mr. Owner of a small market team, like if you're used to making this money and that's going to be too hard for you to make that financial commitment to own a team in the in this like window that they're developing, sell the team. Just sell the team. Uh, the world has changed. You know, there are a bunch of you, 30 teams. There are a bunch of really rich people out there that would want to buy a team. 
Like I understand why Bob Nutting, the Pirates owner, does business the way he does it. And I think to a degree he's required to do it. But if Bob would ever give up and say, you know what, I don't want to deal with this. I'm just going to set, sell the Pirates and see what I can get for him. He would do really, really, really well. I think they'd be for sale for about five minutes until somebody would buy that team and pour a different amount of money into them, you know, probably because they were spending more emotionally and just not caring because there are people out there that just don't care. They want to play toy because they have an insane amount of money. So anyway, I, I, I would like to see something regulating that. And then just, you know, you're sort of setting guide rails for people. Like this is how this is outspending the opponent isn't going to happen. You can outsmart them. You can out GM them. You can out roster maneuver them, but you can't outspend them. Yeah. And what it's something like that's happening right now down in, in Baltimore where it, it looks like the Angelos family is finally in that process to sell it. And the, he's not the private equity, David Rubenstein, who's actually from Baltimore. He's looking to buy, uh, buy the Orioles because the Orioles, mm-hmm. that was all homegrown and, we all know during the trade deadline, the Orioles did nothing. Everyone was like, yeah, we're, we're, the Orioles are going to maybe even go to the World Series. They're going to win the division. And the and the front office was basically, their hands were tied. And so they weren't able to do. But that maybe if the Angelos actually sell it to David Rubenstein, David Rubenstein has all the money in the world. And we'll see what happens in the American League East with uh, all those monstrous spending teams, Boston, New York, et cetera. Yep. That would be interesting. I love traveling, especially to go see baseball stadium, baseball games, baseball stadiums. If anyone who's a Pirates fan goes to Pittsburgh who doesn't live in Pittsburgh, or if your team is playing in Pittsburgh, yep. I love I when I travel, I love food and art. But let's focus on food. What's a, a few places you suggest that when we're going to Pittsburgh for a coffee, a drink, food, we should check out? So my number one when I get asked this question is a place called the North Shore Tavern. And it's attached to a place called Mike's Beer Bar. And it's actually literally across from PNC Park. Um across the street is right there. Um, it's my favorite spot in the city. Um, just every beer you could possibly want to drink local important, you know, it's, it's a beer snobs beer place on one side, but the food is also immaculate. Um, they do their thing is called steak on a stone. And so they'll do, they'll serve you a giant hunk of steak on a sizzling lava stone. Um, and you sort of finish it yourself a little bit and they have like various dipping sauces and, I mean, it's, it's awesome. You can do seafood, pizza, wings. They've got the whole sports bar thing, but like what they're known for is a steak on a stone. Um, that would be my number one. What else? Um, I would lead anybody to a place called the strip district in Pittsburgh. Um, it's like an old industrial area. They've turned it into this produce terminal. Uh, it's like a smaller Reading terminal. I think that's what it's called in Philly. Um, if it, it's not not bi- as big, yeah. not as fancy. It's kind of like old school Pittsburgh. But you hit that on like a Saturday, Sunday morning. There's a bunch of like local grocers and stuff. It's a really good, you know, t-shirt memorabilia shops, that sort of thing. It's a really nice slice of Pittsburgh. Um, if you're looking for art, entertainment, that's well, I guess you asked food. I was going to say there's a, a place called the Heinz History Center. Uh, right in the strip district that is is really good for that and the ketchup comes for free when you go when you enter the heinz interest uh yeah right if you need ketchup in a museum i mean it's <laughs> it's there for you i'm a big um, fan of ketchup yeah so yeah i mean th- those would be the big ones excellent i can't wait i'm telling you that seriously going to see a baseball game in pittsburgh is definitely on my list i need to take like the amtrak uh out there to i don't know if amtrak, I'm sure amtrak goes out to pittsburgh anyways the I'm trying to remember that the 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 train Anyways, Jason, I want to thank you so much for your time and joining us this week. 
Let us know where we can read some of your work, watch you on YouTube, anything you want to share where we can see you work for sports. Yep. Uh, so it's post-gazette.com is where all of our content can be found. You can find me on Twitter at jmackeypg. That should cover it. Yeah. I want to thank Jason Mackey for joining us this week. And like I mentioned, I haven't yet made it out to Pittsburgh, but I've heard they have amazing breweries over in Pittsburgh. I need to go. But in honor of the Winter Leagues, in honor of recently being in Nashville, in my hand I have, it's a beer called Lemon Squeezy, a lemon shandy from a good American local brewery called Crazy Gnome Brewery in Nashville, Tennessee. Cheers to Nashville. Cheers to baseball. Cheers to you and the holidays and whatever it is you celebrate or don't celebrate. Like I said in the previous episode, we're going to be putting out an episode every two, maybe three weeks. Take it easy. Still watching some baseball, having fun. Enjoy. Travel safely. Thanks for listening to Last Call Baseball. Be great and get home safe. Bye.